My name is Dick Worthington. I'm a, a campus pastor over at the 8 and 10 o'clock services. Uh, I've been on staff for about a year and a half. So um, I've pastored, just to give you some idea on my vibe, uh, I've, I was raised in Southern California, went to the beaches all the time, played golf with my mom and dad. So I'm a beach guy, a golfer, skimboarder. That was my life. So uh, then my first youth ministry was in a little town, Mission Viejo, South Orange County, and that was 15, 20 minutes away from the beach. Yeah, kids and uh, my youth group, we used to go there all the time. So, and then I became a senior pastor in Hawaii. So now I'm surrounded by beaches. So we're in Hawaii for 85 to 91, then we come back, and we're still kind of in the same area. And then we move up here. My wife had a vision um, to, to our final chapter is to uh, find a little town with a river running through it in the woods. And uh, it's a long story, complicated, but God brought us here, I think because of her, actually. And um, so anyway, I'm thinking, well, I've never been around wilderness people. So I said, <laughs> I want to I do the stuff that you wilderness people do. And you don't maybe not see yourself kind of way we do, but for a guy with sandals and short pants and a golf club, you guys are in another world. So, so first I wanted to go fishing. So we got a guy in our community group and he, he's an avid fisherman. He's got all these boats and he's got a little thing called a drift boat. And I, I didn't know what that was. And I, we're going down the river without an engine. And I didn't think that was bright. So, so we, go, we go down and it was one of the coldest days ever. And I'm freezing cold. And I thought, well, this is miserable. So I'm not going to be a fisherman. So I'm not that wilderness. And then I uh, became good friends with Trevor Hanks. Uh, most of you know Trevor. And also I was trying to help a, a young guy come to Christ uh, by the name of David Landreth. And he's got 40 guns. And Trevor worked at Nevesky, and he's got 40 guns. And so they wanted to take me shooting. So we were supposed to meet at David Landreth's house. And so I showed up in a Hawaiian shirt and some deck tinnies. Actually, blue deck tinnies, and uh, they were all in camo gear. And so, so I, I immediately fell out of place. And I, I'm not a hunter; I'm actually blind in one eye, so I have to use the opposite. And so I, I know I'm not going to be. This is not necessarily going to be my sport, but it's ski, and we're going to shoot. And so anyway, I'm watching these two guys, and they're having a contest. They're just one after another, just one after another, shooting them. And uh, so I'm not hitting anything. And they're telling me, well, you're not leading enough. You're too high. You're too low. And I'm going, I couldn't see what they were talking about. So if they said I was leading, I couldn't back up. I didn't know how to back up. So I was just missing everything. But I kept watching them. I said, they're doing something different than I. I I'm standing there yelling, pull. And then I'm trying to follow it. And these guys are so relaxed. They got their guns down here. And they yell a pool, and then they go like that. And uh, so I thought, ah. So I kept watching them, one after another, one after another. So I said, okay. So I put my rifle down. And uh, <laughs> so I yelled, pull. This is why you shouldn't 
talk on the phone uh, when you're stopped and somebody finally answers your phone and you go through a red light? When I said pull, I did. <laughs> Literally, six inches from my foot was a crater. It was... So... Uh, so I wanted to get more in touch. I, I said, okay, uh, shooting's not my thing. Fishing's not my thing. I, I want to get it. I know Sean Logue on staff is always talking about the woodcutters and let's get guys to do wood, wood cutting. And I said, well, I've never done that. So we went out and I saw these wood, wood cutting splitters, wood splitters. I, I don't, is that what they're called? Anyway, I realized I'm around real men. These guys are just splitting upright, they're splitting sideways, and, and uh, so we were just picking up logs, and it was a great day. Uh, but I said, well, that's, that's not going to happen very often, so. <laughs> so I had a project in my house, and I don't want you to judge me, but, but I built a pool, and we've always had pools all over our life. Our kids have never known not having a pool, and so we wanted to build a pool, so uh, I've got a, a guy in the church that's helping with uh, all the plumbing, and he needed a gas line from one side of the house to go into the pool equipment. And on the other side of the house, he needed a trench for the uh, a water line to go from the house for auto fill. So um, I said, can I help you in any way? Because this, this ground is really hard. And uh, he says, yeah. He says, if you want... I, I can do it, but it's just going to take that much more time. Uh, get a, uh, a, a walk-behind trencher. What? See? <laughs> it's another person from Southern California. So, so I, I go up. I said, where do I get it? He tells me where to get it. He said, you're going to need a trailer hitch. I said, oh, it's bigger than I th-. So I go up to him, and I, I'm waiting in line. If you've ever been at this rental place, uh, they have all the stuff and prices and everything, and I see walk behind trencher, whatever it was, and I said, hey, I want to walk behind trencher unless there's another kind. He says, no, you're digging a trench, right? I said, yeah. And uh, he says, okay, this is perfect. And he says, have you ever used one before? I said, do I look like I've ever used one before? So he says, Bob, outside, will show you how to use the trencher. So I go outside, I mean, if any of you have ever used a trencher, it's got all the knobs, and he kept going over and over and over. Whatever you do, don't do this before you do this. Do this, do this, and go over here, and you have to do this. And then he gave me instructions to get it off the trailer, and then you have to do this, and you have to undo this, and you gotta go, and then the cart will lean back. My head was spinning. So we finally get it off. I'm down. I'm doing the trenching. So I did one side, but I'm going, this is kind of lame. It's not very, it's not very clean. It's, I expected a clean ditch. And so I think, oh, I'm doing all this thing. It's digging all it up, but it's just filling it back up. I said, I have to go get a shovel. So I thought, okay, if that's what you have to do. So I get over on the other side, and it's a real dicey area by the pool cement and my fence. So it's not a big area, only about four feet, five feet maybe, and it slopes. And uh, so I thought, oh, okay. I don't want to ruin my fence and I don't want to ruin the, the cement. Be careful, I'm just going, this thing is hopping. This thing is just jumping all over the place. And they're, they're a big machine and they have like a tank tread. 
for their tires, right? And so, and they're rubber and they're, they're mammoth. And so it's going like this and all of a sudden it bucks up and spits the rubber tire off. And then the whole thing goes right like into the fence. And so I can't get the thing off. It weighs like 1,800 pounds. So I thought, okay, now what do I do? So I called the company and he goes, uh, you did what? And I explained to him and he says, okay, we'll send the guy out. And he comes out, nice guy. And he's looking at my work. And then he's looking at the trencher. And he says, uh, he says, well, this is really going to be hard. I, you know, I've never seen one stuck like this. I've never, he says, I've never seen one spit off the, the tire tread. So he says, we can't get this off. We have to call Frank, and he'll, he's going to have to go. It might be a couple of days. Meanwhile, they're charging me every day, right? So, and then he looks around. And he says, what are you doing? which I thought was obvious, I'm digging trenches. I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm digging trenches, can't you see? He says, but the machine is faced this way and your trench is behind you and you're going forward. He says, it's a, it's, you walk backwards with a trencher. I said, what? I I said, what? He says, no, you walk behind it. See these little side things? That kicks the dirt out. And you have a clean... I said, I went to your desk and I told him I didn't know anything. In fact, he asked, do you know anything about this? I said, no. He says, Bob will explain everything. I says, Bob did not explain that I walked backwards on this thing. And he says, well, that's what happened. You're trying to go forward, and the teeth are going in the opposite direction. So it literally kicked itself up. This, uh, I've never seen this before. He says, we've never had to explain this. So, <laughs> so there was more drama, but I won't bother you with all the details. But once we fixed everything, and I started going backwards... Oh, it was amazing. And so I wanted to talk to you this morning about we miss the amazing in Scripture sometimes through ignorance or just too much familiarity with it. We don't get what this is about. So uh, would you go to the Lord with me in prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen. I was asked by uh, Matt Heverly to preach. And I said, do you want me to follow uh, your sermon structure in Acts? And he said, no. And I said, he says, it's Father's Day. I said, I hate Father's Day messages. By the way, happy Father's Day, that's it. So, <laughs> so. by the way, you know, the, statistically, the church's uh, single greatest attendance day is Mother's Day. And, and the, the lowest day is Father's Day. 
You can come up with your own commentary. It's pretty amazing. But so there's a, a big crowd. That's good. So he asked me what he, and I said, I don't want to do a Father's Day. He says, yeah, you don't have to. He says, just speak on whatever you want. <laughs> so I just prayed and prayed. And, um, you know, it's, it's a type of thing that you have one chance to speak to people. And you go, what would be the most important thing in the scripture? And I'm sitting there and I was shocked by the answer. He said, teach the Lord's Prayer. I said, what? I said, and I'm arguing with him. I said, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. And he says, teach it. So anyway, that's where we're at. We're going, I think, we miss the amazing because of ignorance. We don't know what this is about. So to back up, turn in your scriptures to Matthew 6. And we'll start with five. But before we do, uh, obviously this is, the uh, Lord's Prayer is directly in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount was in Galilee. So if you, if you were looking, if we were looking at a map, um, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is up here. The Jordan River runs down here. The Dead Sea is down here. Jerusalem's down here. Galilee is up here. Uh, Samaria is down in the middle. Uh, Judea is up here. Decapolis is to the right. It's a Roman province of 10 cities, and above it is Syria. And uh, the reason I mention that is in this scripture, when Jesus starts his, his life and his ministry um, in Matthew 4, he's tested in the wilderness. And, and that's there for us to see that we need to rely on God no matter what the temptations are for our passions. And immediately when he was done, he went out and he started preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And anytime he talked about the gospel or the good news, it was always about the kingdom. And the Jews were waiting for the king. And they were waiting for the kingdom to start. Their Messiah was going to come and relieve them of all this Russian, a uh, Russian. <laughs> my, my daughter lives in Russia, the Roman oppression. So he immediately starts preaching the good news of the kingdom and people are coming. Then he selects his apostles and now he starts healing and he does all this healing. John 30 tells us that uh, the miracles were recorded and done so that we would believe. The miracles were done so they would realize he was the Messiah. And the crowds gathered. And so he's, he goes up into a little hill country. We call it a mountain, but it was actually hills. And there's plateaus. And where he would have been speaking, almost any area, was uh, perfect for acoustics. So you can hear from a long ways away. Now, his audience were his apostles. You see that in 5, 1, and 2. But if you go to 728, you see that the crowds would not hold back. They followed him, and they sat, and they were able to listen to this whole message. And they were from every area, according to them, in the known world. So... Jesus is going to address a problem. 
The problem starts in the fifth verse, sixth chapter of Matthew. And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So that obviously is a key scripture. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. He says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Now, over the years, people have taken this fixed prayer as a rabbit's foot, and they have just done it rote, and they never understood what this was about. And there was, in some many churches, there was a law that you had to pray this three times. Others would give it to their children, and their children would pray. It would be over dinner table or whatever. Uh, nighttime bed or whatever. So it became so disjointed and now we don't hear about it. We don't do it. You've, it's, not, it's not a part of our thing. But in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, which is considered by most scholars the entirety of the Bible. And right in the middle is the entirety of the gospel held in the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus cared very much about that we should pray like this. Now, it wasn't fixed, but it was a form, and we should do this. Now, in the middle of this prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. This was be, to be done every single day. Why? Because you only have one day to live. You have this day that the Lord has given us. You can't worry about tomorrow. You can't worry about yesterday. This is the day that I've given you. And it's broken up in two forms, just like the Ten Commandments. The first section of the Ten Commandments was all about God and then all about you, how to treat others. This is all about God and you. Next. There's a couple of things that we have to see in this. So what the main reason why it's divided, same with the Ten Commandments, is to stop us from being selfish. That we will run oftentimes, oh, God doesn't know, God doesn't know my issues, so I'm gonna just lay out all these prayers. He already says, I already know what you want. And we forget to honor him, we forget to glorify him, we forget to have any concept, and so he doesn't want us to do that. He says, God first, you second. The third thing that you see here, this whole prayer is a community prayer. He does not want us to be praying individually. This is not my God, my Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, your will be done with me on earth. It's us, it's we. It was intentionally done that way that we would all know that we're together in this and what's gonna unfold is critically important for us to get as a community. This then is how you should pray. Our Father 
in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We all know this by now. The word father uh, was never used before. This meant very intimate. This means creator, a lover. This means a long-suffering dad. Um, <laughs> uh, my wife wanted me to do a Father's Day message, and uh, I do a, a evangelism material, and I call it cross-training. And one of the things I always ask uh, the husbands and wives, I said, why did you decide to have children? And to this day, uh, 40 years later, nobody has given me kind of the right answer. Everybody looks and goes, you know, I've, I've actually never thought of that. Why did you decide to have children? So uh, my wife and I raised three daughters. And I asked her, I said, how many diapers do you change per child? Is it a year, a year and a half? She said, no, about two years. I said, two years. I said, okay, so that's six years of diapers. I said, I said, how many diapers a day would we change? And so she came up with it and we got on a calculator and I was shocked. 12,000 diapers. And for you young sissies, this was done way before your throwaway diapers. This was cloth diapers. This is where you rinsed out the diapers in the toilet, rinsed them out, wrung them out, pinned them. And you actually pinned these diapers to your child. And one day, I didn't do, my child was fed and happy and everything. And she just started screaming. I couldn't figure out why she was screaming. And I'm looking at her, go, what are you screaming for? And, and then I, I tugged on her diaper and her eyebrows moved. So I realized that I had pinned the whole thing to her. So, why did God, who's called Father, decide to have you? Think of the mess we've created for him. But Jesus wants us to know the Jews did not know, and he was teaching them this is your father, creator, lover, patient. He loves you and he's in heaven, which shows us his power and control and knowledge and wisdom. He's in charge of everything and don't worry about this who holds the world together is your dad and you can depend on him and that's key and that would have been revolutionary for these guys. They never saw that coming. Hallowed be your name. In the third commandment of the Old Testament, it is do not take the name of your Lord in vain. And we've been raised to think that was swearing. But you want to think about 3,000 years ago, they didn't have our intelligent swearing. They would not use that. What he was saying is, my name is to be hallowed. I'm holy. You need to respect me. But you need to live out your life in a respectful manner so people would see this. Don't take my name in vain. And that's like a wife taking a man's name and all of a sudden she's unfaithful and she doesn't care about the house. She didn't care about the kids. 
She's taken the whole process and it's in vanity and vain. It's not for any purpose. And so th this is what he's asking us to do. He says, I want you to know this loving father who's in heaven, who's created everything, is holy. So there's this mixture. There's this beautiful power and holiness and tenderness that we have from this God. And honestly, the crowd must have been in shock. In fact, it says that. They, they, they just marveled at this new teaching. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So the Jews were waiting for a physical kingdom. He's saying, Jesus said, no, this kingdom is going to be in your heart. It is now, it is near. John the Baptist says it's near, it's here, it's coming. And when he died and opened up the floodgates for us to accept him, we joined the kingdom. The gospel has never been about salvation. Let me explain it this way. This stage, think of it as a triangle and above is God. I'm standing on the outside, I'm not in. This kingdom that was once in heaven has now been brought down here to earth. I get to come in through the door. That's Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So I come in. Now think of it as a ruler, a 12-inch ruler. So I come in, and I get to participate in this. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. So it became active. So when we look at Father Creator... We go, okay, I've been created in God's image. We hear this all the time here at Edgewater. Accurately so. We've been created in God's image. Question is, what does the image look like? He's invisible. What does that mean? <laughs> so at the other end of the triangle, he brings Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one and the same. It says in Genesis 1.26, they created us in their image. This becomes the most critically important scripture, I think, in the whole Bible. Aside from the salvation issues, I'm created, you're created. This is why we have our Father prayer. This is together. And I'm still going, okay, so Jesus is my, this is, I'm supposed to become like Jesus. So think of the, of the ruler. So before I wasn't a Christian, now I'm a Christian. Uh, I didn't attend church, now I attend church. Now I'm a one-inch Christian. And I see the 12 inches over there, and I go, okay. Um, and then somebody says, you know, you should join us in Bible study. It's a Bible study. I already gave you one day. They, no, Bible study. So I thought, okay, so now I'm a two-inch Christian. And I go to Bible studies. And then somebody says, hey, we're going to help the needy. Really? What are we going to do? Uh, it's another day, Saturday or something. We're going to go help people. Oh, now I become a three-inch Christian. And then I realized I wanted to go in the ministry. So I studied and went to college. I became a four-inch Christian. And that's where I stayed. Because I didn't get it. See, we think that this structure in the kingdom is to be morally and ethically like Christ. And that's why we all say it's impossible. And most of us stop trying. But that's not what he's doing. 
Jesus is the exact image of God. And in the scripture, in 1 John 4, 7, we finally get what the image is. It says God is love. That's it. That's all. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, what's the most important law? They were having a debate. Different parties thought one law was over another. Jesus said, to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something stunning. He says, and within those two, the entire Old Testament laws and prophets are contained. This Bible that you have in your hand is this thick. It is about one thing. It is about love. Think of it, think of yourself, think of the people around you as an Oreo cookie. <laughs> the top part is made to love. The bottom part is I'm made to be loved. The cream in the middle is forgiveness. I'm made to be forgiven, but I'm made to forgive others. That's the entire Bible. That, when he says, your will be done, that's the will he's talking about because that covers all ethics, that covers all morals, that covers all needs, that covers everything. Carol and I, are, we work for a ministry called Standing Stone Ministries that helps pastors and their wives uh, who are not doing well, which is a real surprise. So these four-inch Christians now have pulpits and churches and they're 2,000, 3,000, and they can't get along with their elders. Their elders don't like them. Uh, they don't like their wife. Their wife doesn't like them or they've had a moral failure. So Carol and I and people like us for the organization get to counsel them for seven days. And we had this one guy. Now, most of you do not know my wife. But you can look around and go, my wife is the sweetest wife. That's not true. My wife is the sweetest woman, most caring, uh, unjudgment. She's just, and we had this missionary from Africa, a white guy, who was literally the most egotistical guy I've ever met. He was terribly cruel to his wife, even in front of us. And so we have to go through all this material and this is going to be the longest week. And we're praying. And this guy invoked in my wife her ugly side. We went to bed. For the first four nights out of the seven, we just get in bed. And usually we just would cuddle and go, oh, wasn't that nice or whatever. She goes, I hate that guy. So, <laughs> our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have one day to live. This is a daily prayer. There are 59 million people who die every year in our world, who just die. 
That means 150,000 a day. Some of those never got to see the whole 86,400 seconds. Here's our job. This is the entirety of our faith. This is the entirety of the gospel. This is in the entirety of all the scriptures. If you don't think you're very smart with the scriptures, you are now, because now you know everything. This is about love. This is about forgiveness. I'm an Oreo cookie. I am made to be loved. Psychologists call it significance, the search for significance, security and significance, Security, food, shelter, and clothes. And then significance is everything else. The guy on the highway uh, making unkind gestures to you. The boss not giving you a raise. The wife not wifing right. The kids not kidding right. The husband not husbanding right. Just goes on and on and on. And so we just pile up resentment. We pile, there's justification. There's judgment. If you only knew, and we don't forgive. We're justified, and we don't love. This is an our prayer, an us prayer, a we prayer. We're in it together. The community is in it together. The world, the worst people you can think of that come to your mind right now are all in it. Love is the only answer, and it's the only thing he's given us. He said, I want you to pray this every day. God first, daddy, you love me, you care for me. You're in heaven, you're in control. You already know everything I need. You're holy, let me be holy. Let me live, Not, I don't want to embarrass you. Let me be in your kingdom today. Let your will, this love, work itself out in me today. Listen, <laughs> you don't even need 86,400 seconds because you actually don't live them all together. You just live them right now, this second. You can be nice this second. Turn around and say you can be nice for a second. <laughs> just for a second. That's the only thing you've got to live is this. I can cherish my wife for this second. I can make her feel good this second. And then he said, I want you to pray and give us this day our daily bread. That's it today. Thank you for covering our needs. This is the manna in heaven when they were in the wilderness and they, they were complaining. We kind of do the same thing by, oh, we never have enough. Our house isn't big enough. Or, and you guys don't have a pool. So <laughs> you come. <laughs> I tried to make that trencher go forward. It became amazing when I backed it up. It, when I understood how to use it, it, it was life-changing. This prayer was built to be amazing and life-changing. And every day, look how short it is. <laughs> every day, God first, Daddy, thank you. I love you. You're in heaven. I know you know everything. I know you all, all, everything I need. You're holy. Your name is holy. I, wanna, I, I just want to honor you by my behavior. I'm going to go out in the kingdom today. <laughs> I, I'm going to go love. Help me to love. 
even Walmart. He says, love never fails. Love literally never fails. The whole entire scripture, John 15 is the vine and the branches. We're all familiar with it. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You must abide in me. If you don't abide in me, you cannot bear any fruit. And it's my God's glory that you bear fruit. It goes on and on. And it's just verse after verse after verse. You must remain in me. You must remain in me. You go, okay, I get it. And most of us stop after two verses of anything, especially if it's repetitive, and we don't follow it. It's so, it is so marvelous to track an author. You keep following him. You must remain in me. You must abide in me. And then finally he says, and you remain in me and abide in me when you obey me. He says, you must obey me. You must obey me. And we keep thinking ethically and morally, ethically and morally. I'm a failure. I'm never going to make it. You're not. And then he finally says, what is obedience? This is my commandment that you must obey. You must love others. That's it. And through that comes all the glory of God. And through that becomes the miracle working. It is through love that the world is changed. And by the way, this is not mamby-pamby, boyfriend-girlfriend love. This is not happy Father's Day love. This love he's asking us to is rock hard. It is gutsy. It is dirty. It takes sacrifice. It takes willingness to see the bigger picture. And that's why Christ hung on the cross and said, you must love others like I just did. I sacrifice myself. You need to sacrifice to love others. You need to put yourself last. I do weddings, and the one wedding scripture I use all the time is Philippians Two, three through five. Have this attitude in you that was first in Christ Jesus to think of others as more important than yourself. I said, if you can do that as a husband and wife, every day you wake up and say that, you love them, you cherish them, you love the neighbor, you help people. That's all this is about. And then he says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's a key word here, folks. <laughs> and the word is as. He said, so what we pray and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven others. In other words, that's the measuring stick of your forgiveness is how you forgive others. So just think about it. If you're holding grudges, if you're unforgiving, oh, usually at my age, I don't bend over to pick up anything less than a 20. But, <laughs> so. Forgive us our debts. Now look at the 14th verse. This is actually an addendum to the prayer. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What's he talking about? I had the president of my college come over to speak at my church in Hawaii, and we were talking about this subject matter, and he thought it had to do with your salvation. I said, I don't think so. See, this is a daily prayer. And this is a daily connection to God. Forgiveness and forgiving others restores relationship. And so we get our relationship restored on a daily basis by going to him and asking to forgive our debts. And he says on that same daily basis, you also have to say, I forgive all my debtors. Go through in your mind, pray, forgiving them, have an attitude, a prodigal father attitude, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, even when they're not coming back, forgive them. And that literally changes mankind. So it's a qualifier. Listen to this amazing truth. This is your motivation to forgive. I had a terrible thing happen to me in my church in Southern California. And uh, it was not a good thing. <laughs> I was all embittered and uh, caused a lot of ruckus in our church. And so there were uh, two guys specifically I was uh, angry with. And they caused a church split and they took, uh, you can't have a church split without usually taking 30% of your people away. But even by accident, everybody's attached to somebody and they're all leaving. They don't know why, but Betty left. And I go, okay, we got to go with Betty. So I've been bettered. My secretary sees it. She goes, you know, you're not acting like Christ would want you to act. My wife sees it, you know, you're not acting like Christ. I'm justified. This is against the church. These people did this. Yada, yada, yada. So I was reading Psalms one day and I saw David's prayers. Uh, if you've ever followed David and his prayers in the Psalms, he's very vengeful. He's literally praying against his enemies all the time, asking God to wipe them out to send locusts on their fields. I want boils on their children's. So literally, uh, this is true, I thought, that's biblical praying. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so easy for you. So it's biblical praying, and I never get down on my knees. I don't want you to think I'm that holy, but that day I, just, I was going through a lot of pain. I got down on my knees, and I was just praying about these two guys, their families, and their kids. And so I'm praying vengeful. I'm praying God to attack him. You do it. It's not my deal. You do it. They hurt your church. They hurt me. Uh, they made us go backwards. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm finished this ravishing prayer. And I was silent for a second. And God says, and what do you want me to do with yours? And I finally realized that that's it. So when we pray, at the end, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's talking about our own passions. Lead us not and let us go, Father, with our passions. We won't forgive. We won't do this. Don't abandon us to the evil one. Motivate us. 
inspire us. And he does that through the church. He does that through friends. He does that through Bible studies. He does it through sermons, but he does it just through your walk with him. So here's the deal. This whole thing is an amazing transformation. This simple prayer literally can revolutionize your life. But you've got to use it the right way. And you've got to use it. So one of the things I tell people, it's kind of naughty, get together, marriage counseling, whatever, I say, okay, now go out and love the hell out of each other. <laughs> because that's what we're doing. We're trying to get this out of us. And the only way to do it is love. So today we have an opportunity to join the kingdom, to join this father. We have an opportunity to get baptized if, if you've never been baptized. This is your commitment to Jesus Christ. This, this gets rid of your ego because we come and we die to ourselves and we're washed brand new. And we come now, once we do this, and he becomes our Lord, we usher in the kingdom and all the potential and power and fruit from the kingdom. And it is ours. If you've never done this, if you've never been baptized, at the conclusion of my prayer, they're going to be uh, uh, leading us in worship. There'll be some great men and women here that'll help you get baptized, but grasp, grasp the beauty and amazing power of this text, but the truth behind it. To be saved, you are born in the image of God, you're redeemed and reclaimed once you accept him. Come forward. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings. We thank you for this rich time to be in your word. We thank you for your son's brilliance and teaching. And, and I, I'm just shocked. And forgive us for putting it on a low rung that it's not important or we don't use it or we use it the wrong way. We want to use it the right way and be amazed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.